for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mint. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. While he was dreaming, I was dreaming in the beam of just dreaming. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon. Hot hit from 2001. This is the top hit from 2001. Fall 2001, number one for five weeks, Blue Cantrell singing Hit 'em Up Style. I'm going to go on record and say 2001 might not have been the best year musically that we had if this is the number one song of the year. I was looking through uh, the number one hits from that year. Alicia Keys, Fallen, that's a good song. Mm-hmm. She's a good singer, very yes. talented. Yes. Uh, Nickelback was number one late in the year with How You Remind Me. Why do we hate Nickelback? Not I don't. Are they a Canadian group? They are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I because they, the, every song sounds the same, is that the Yeah, I think now? he's kind of unsufferable, the lead singer. It doesn't help. Well, <laughs> That's a part of it. We got Shaggy in there, It Wasn't Me. You remember that song? I don't. He just keeps repeating It Wasn't Me okay. over and over. Some girls uh, basically saying, hey, you're, you're cheating on me. It wasn't me. That's the song. That, that was the song. J-Lo's in there. Lenny Kravitz. Okay. Um, another Shaggy song. Whew. Yeah. Yeah, not not a great year of 2001. Blue Cantrell, number one during the fall of 2001 as we look back. Indeed we did. Well, the reason we play that is that we're going back to 2001, our Roshan Corporation, memorable team of the day. We do this twice a week during the non-sports time of our lives. That Iowa State uh, 16-17 basketball earlier in the week, and uh, Dave Sproul will join us here in about oh a half hour or so. We'll opine on that uh, with uh, with Dave, as well as look at uh, football. As we're going to start moving into position battles, I think it's time to do that. I'm but in. it's time to the uh, to talk about the 2001 Hawkeye football team, a team that had a couple of quarterbacks that had a uh, a quarterback. Controversy, if you want to call it that. Certainly the fans were clamoring for more of Brad Banks. They would get so in 2002. But they, remember 2002, the buzzer was uh, the, the Heisman buzz in the state of Iowa was the quarterback in Ames at least the first seven games of the year. Tell Oklahoma. Tell Oklahoma. And then, uh, but uh, Brad Banks would catch fire. And the, well, the team was catch fire. Uh, anyways, but we're doing 2001 today, and this was Kyle McCann. It was Brad Banks. It was Liddell Betts, Dallas Clark. This was his final year, correct? It was. Yes. Yes. Is he Dallas Clark, he said? Yes. No, he, he was there in 02. That's when he won the Mackey Award. Okay. Yep, so this would have been his sophomore season. Sophomore season, season. When uh, he started to make a big impact, though, and and he saw him, Khalil Hill, the leading leading man in terms of touchdown. Great returner, could Mm -hmm. do a lot for that team. So uh, coming into the year, trying to go back, I was coming on the heels of 2000 when two of their last three games were close and a couple of others. You could see they hadn't broken through, but they Mm -hmm. were turning the corner into positivity after the 2-18 and start there was at least some positive momentum, and I think the realistic goal was to get to a bowl game. Yep. If you can find a way to get to six wins, and they did. They get to six and five with that they get to the Alamo Bowl, but this season there was a lot of frustration. The defense wasn't close to what it would become. They scored, but they'd have long stretches where the offense still would have some issues, and it was still a lot of those bubble screens. The offensive line had not become quite yet. <laughs> they what were it there, the but they yeah. weren't right. right. Hadn't developed yet uh-huh. to that level. Start off the season incredibly well. They beat up Kent State. And and I remember 
vividly after this game, walking out of the student section with, like I mentioned earlier, in the program and just saying, I think they're going to be good. Past Iowa teams winning 51 to nothing. It doesn't matter how bad Kent State is. Just to do that against mm-hmm. anybody says, this isn't a 4-7 type of team. They're going to be good enough you know, to compete game in and game out. And they were throughout this season. It's Miami after that as they uh, take on the Red Hawks. A victory. This is before Roethlisberger, if you will, in some of those memorable games with them. But then 9-11 happens. Yep. And you've talked about being on the air that day, mm-hmm. the vivid memories of that, being yep. in school at the time, it was just such a odd Literally odd on the air when the planes hit the building. Because it was a long respite before they got back to playing. They didn't play again until September 29th hmm. is when they finally came back is and played. That, was that, see, I didn't remember that being that long I didn't of either. a break. I wonder when baseball came back after 9-11. Well, when Jack Buck read the poem. That's, and, yep. uh, that's how I that's the, the two memories I have of baseball returning was Jack Buck reading the poem at Bush Stadium. It was unbelievable. And, of course, uh, the president, uh, President Bush, throwing a uh, strike right down the middle. Those are the two main memories for me of 2001 baseball when it came back. I'm right there with you. I'm trying to find it at the date that they made it back out there. You mentioned those times. Play resumed on the 18th. It was just a mm-hmm. week later mm-hmm. that they got going, which was a little bit surprising for Iowa. Their first game back. Now, it, did they have a bye or something, Iowa? Is that why they... It's a good Did question. everybody take that long off? It very well could I have don't been. remember that being the case, Trent, but... I mean, I, I don't remember. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm bringing up Iowa State 2001 to see... If it's the same, yeah, it must have been a bye week was already there for Iowa because gotcha. Iowa State returned on the 22nd. That's, I thought, yeah. So just the way the schedule broke, it was a even longer layoff. It was a game against Penn State where Penn State wasn't very good at this time. Mm-hmm. They hadn't kind of rebuilt, and this was the beginning of the first crack of Joe Paw's reign there. But, well, we mentioned uh, the wide receiver, and here's the quarterback. Iowa goes up in the second half, 21-5, to another weird scoring game <laughs> against Penn State. Imagine that. McCann to Hill. Joe Paterno, 74 years young. They like the age of the bit on this drive. First and goal from the seven. Here's McCann throwing, and it's caught. Touchdown, Khalil Hill. That pass through three players' arms before Hill was able to catch it for the touchdown. <laughs> tight Steve window. Levy, yes, indeed. Must have been a tight window to pass through three players' arms. That's how good McCann was. Yes, he <laughs> 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions that year for McCann. From there, Iowa. Product of Creston. Creston, Iowa, yes, just down the road from us. So, Iowa's 3-0, feeling good. Still not in the rankings, anything like that. Iowa wasn't at that level yet as a program. But then, those tough losses start to build up. Offense does nothing against Purdue. Brock Speck had that defense for the Boilers. Really good at this time. They lose 23-14. On the road again at Michigan State. Lose a heartbreaker, 31-28. Just couldn't get stops in that game. I think Jeff Smoker had a big game, if I remember correctly, from Michigan State. We go to a guy that Kirk Ferentz still talks about quite a bit. Is he a defensive player? He is not. Oh, okay. I thought it was Bob Sanders. Maybe one of the most respected opponents Ah. in Kirk Ferentz's tenure. How many times have we heard him talk about Antoine Randall? He still brings him up. And he was impossible for Iowa to stop. Over 400 yards of total offense. This is before the advent of uh, spread offenses at a high level where everybody was putting up those kind of numbers. But again, that same combination 
McCann to Hill for the Hawks. McCann, little pump fake, over the top, got Hill wide open, touchdown! Well done! So that play that Wayne right there, that was Wayne Larravee, is something that has gone away from the playbook, and I want to see come back. Now, they don't run the tunnel screen, the bubble screen, nearly as much as they did in these early portions of the uh, of the Ferentz era, but that was one of those pump fake the bubble, the guy that normally the slot receiver normally be blocking slips out the back end is wide open. They used it against Wisconsin in 2004. They used it here against Indiana in 2001. Get the victory, 42-24. But bring that play back. I want to see well, that. Brian Ferentz was on that team, was he not? Or maybe maybe red shirting. Uh, yeah, yeah. This might have been a touch early. Oh, three, I think, is by the time that he started playing at the very okay. least. But no, the play. I love that play. It's just beautiful the way it plays out. Iowa ends the losing streak there and gets the victory against Indiana. Goes two four and two. But hard times continue. Up next, Michigan. Great environment as you'd imagine for this game, but a lot of negativity surrounding it with the booing of Kyle McCann. We talked about this earlier, Ken. Is this when you really dug in your heels with McCann? Well, just because of the message boards, they were so mean, uh, they were so nasty to him. In fact, when we started that Monday evening quarterback, and mm-hmm. I was looking for a hawk, and I was looking for a clone, and I knew Austin would do it. I reached out to Kyle McCann just because he became, he's one of my favorite hawks of all time, just because of the vitriol. And that was funny. thrust, oh my God, Trent, thrust upon him. Message boards were brand new. Mm-hmm. It was the wild, wild west at the time, right? And God, I couldn't believe that the fan base would turn on one of their own like this. Iowa gets off to a good start in this game, jumped out to an early lead. They take the lead here in the fourth quarter against the eighth-ranked Wolverines. That's up the middle. Still driving. Touchdown! Liddell Betts was so, mm-hmm. so good. And in Number a way, 46? Yeah, 46. Yeah. Had a nice NFL career. I know he gets a pension. He was in Washington, there six, seven years. right? That yeah. was the majority of yeah. it with the skins. And he was just so, so good. You would have loved to see him have another year of eligibility if he would have registered and uh, get to play behind oh, that 2002 that, offensive line. That would have been fun to watch. But a great player still to this day. I have seen hundreds of games now inside of Kinnick Stadium. This is still the best catch I've ever seen inside the walls of Kinnick Stadium. They clock at one as they snap it. Navarre, all kinds of time in the end zone. What a catch! Touchdown, Walker! Making up for the drop in acrobatic fashion. One-handed grab mm. in the back corner of Don't the end zone. It. it is, Google that one, okay. and, and it'll pop in. One-handed, just an absolute beauty. Freshman Benny Sapp was on coverage there, and in fact, Benny Sapp has said afterwards he was ready to leave. He got so dressed down after that play, he was ready to go back to Florida. Brett Bielema talked him into staying. Is that a fact? And, uh, and when, stuck would, when would he get to you and I? A couple of years later? Yep, two yep. years. Well, it was the pre- next season okay. is when. But yeah, after that play, he was there. There was nothing he could do. Marquise Walker made an incredible grab. Iowa, though, had the lead. Couldn't hold on Michigan with another victory in Kinnick Stadium. 32-26 is the final there. A loss against Wisconsin, another tight one. They lose this one by 6, 34-28. Are we ever going to see a Wisconsin-Iowa game again, 34-28? Seems impossible, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. Seems a little bit unlikely if, if uh, recent uh, history is any indicator. Iowa bounces back, beats Northwestern, and then we go to a chance to clinch bull eligibility Iowa did not have Floyd of Rosedale in their mm-hmm. possession at this time. It is because the they're Gophers. playing eleven, right? Yes, yep. it is the Gophers that they get it done. 
with here and uh, clinch their spot in a bowl game. Guys go with a twin tight end set on second and goal. Man in motion is Chris Oliver. They run that way. Nope. Fake. McCann rolls up. He's wide open. He can go in himself. He gets to the three goal line. Touchdown, Iowa. On the naked bootleg, Kyle McCann. A perfect play action fake handoff to Liddell Betts. He had wide open spaces. There's your guy McCann with the run in 4-6. Iowa wins that one against Minnesota. Setting up Cyhawk game in November. Yeah, and uh, it was a beautiful day, and it did not go Iowa's way. I remember that part of it. I don't remember much about the game other than it was relatively low scoring. 17-14 the final. Grant Steen with the interception. Mm, yeah. And then... Steen his, had a nice career. He did, but it was poked away from him as he was making his way up. Iowa State got the ball back. It looked like that time Iowa was going to get the victory. 44? Yeah, I think that's... I think he was. No, 42. 42? Okay. 42, because Clark was 44. I don't know. I think 42 okay. for that one. Finally, we go to the Alamo Bowl to finish up the season. My first ever bowl game, 21, and the San Antonio. <laughs> Did you drive? We drove down yeah. there, five of us in a small car, yeah. five burly men. <laughs> Jeez. It was, uh, there were plenty of negatives about that drive, especially on the way home. But uh, the trip was incredibly but they won. good. Think of how bad it would have been if they lost. Ooh. Well, right before the game, Nola Del Betts, he had gotten hurt. So it was Aaron Greving running the football for the Hawks. 12th play of the drive. McCann sizzling. Oliver in motion. And on first and goal, Greving is right side. Touchdown, Iowa. God, I want to hear that song so badly, Trent. Yes, in the background. Yes. Ron Franklin on the call. Iowa dominated the first half of this game. Still only led it 10-0 as Leach and the boys kept coming Mm -hmm. back. And we were told throughout this one, as we had Texas Tech fans right behind us in the stadium, well, Leach is going to throw the ball around beat you boys. (laughs) Heard that a lot. (laughs) Is that right? Heard that a lot. And, uh, boy, they... They thought it was funny that you, you drove all the way down from Iowa, huh? How long did that take you? 30 hours? No, not, not quite that long. Uh, that group of Texas Tech fans, they were fun to hang out with. We go deep into the second half. Texas Tech did throw the ball around. It did regain the lead. But Nate Kading, who to this point, a rough freshman season. Mm-hmm. This is during his sophomore well, campaign. Well, he became Nate Kading at Penn State, did he not? Yes, and that's where things started to turn for him. Still a bit uneven throughout this season. Here, though, he is true as he gives Iowa the lead with under a minute to play. Well, here's the young man that the pressure was on right now, Nate Kading, sophomore out of Corralville. Or Coralville, <laughs> I should say. There you go. Iowa. 47 would tie his season long. His career best is 49 against Penn State. Here it comes. Almost in the middle of the field. He's got distance. And he's got the accuracy. Everybody's looking for Kading and he ran away from it. He ran almost all the way to the end zone. Everybody's looking for Oh, that was... Oh, what an environment that was inside the Alamo yeah. Bowl. The afterwards, Iowa football is back by Kirk Ferentz, as he says that on the podium afterwards. It was a really fun time, a really fun season 2001. Some what-ifs in there, and still the question, what Brad Banks would have done in 2001, I still maintain. I don't even know if they're a bowl team without Kyle McCann that season. Now, 
I'm not as big of a McCann fan as you are, right, but right. without him, you just don't know. Yeah. Brad Banks of 2002 was not the guy we saw in 01. No, he's completely different, Trent, uh, by a long way. Uh, McCann, was he the MVP? I think somebody else of the Alamo Bowl. I think Aaron Greving was. Might have been. Yeah. Might think, have been. I yeah. thought McCann got robbed. I think Dolph gave it to him on the t- uh, radio okay. broadcast, yeah. I think. Anyways, uh, we'll take a timeout. Roshan Corporation, Trent, tell us about him if you would. Yes, Roshan Corporation presents our great teams in state history. and Memorable. Our Memorable teams in state history. Uh, big thank you to them. Helping fulfill your commercial construction needs, varying from small space remodels to large-scale projects, Roshan Corporation can help you out. Find them online, RoshanIA.com. That's Roshan, R-O-C-H-O-N-I-A.com. I was just cheating. Uh, I looked at this. Do you know who won the Big Ten that year? 2001, Michigan. They were second. They were second. Yeah. 2001, Northwestern. They were two and six in good. conference. Okay, was he? Two thousand was the year they were good. Who was it? Illinois. Oh, Ooh. seven and one, ten and two overall. They went to the Sugar Bowl. Uh, take your word for it. You lost Illinois. Illinois, indeed. All right, we'll come back. It's twenty minutes after the hour. Eleven. Tom Kakert next. Dave Sproul on Iowa State will follow. We will uh, recap uh, earlier in the week the 2016-17 Iowa State men's basketball program, one of the more memorable of their uh, run. Uh, Trent and I take you until noon. Uh, Miller and Condon weekdays ten to noon on Des Moines Sports Station fourteen sixty KXNO one oh six. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, Miller and Condon. Welcome back to Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Hawkeyes now, Cyclones coming up in about 10 or 12 minutes with Dave Sproul, K-A-S-I in Ames. Tom Kakert joins us each and every Friday. We're grateful to him for uh, doing that for us. HawkeyeReport.com is Tom's website, although it wasn't in 2001, correct, Trent? Yeah, I'm trying to remember... Boy, all the ruminations of message boards. My first introduction came on the Big Ten fan forums. Tom, were you ever a part of that back in the late the Big 90s? Ten fan forum? Big Ten fan forums. Was it? Was that ever a part of you? I, I visited them, but I didn't post. Um, but that's kind of where I met. Um, well, John, it was around two ninety nine, I think, mm-hmm. when John Miller and I got to be friends. Um, and, you know, started helping out a little bit with, um, God, I don't even know if it was Super Hawkeye, Hawkeye Nation at that point, I think, probably. Yeah. Unreal. Well, the reason we brought it up, Tom, is we, we look back at the 2001 Hawkeye football program uh, just prior to you coming on. So, yeah. So when did you get it, Tom? When did you take over uh, at the Rivals? Um, 2003. Gotcha. Spring of 2003. But I was doing stuff. I was doing, um, you know, for the local sports radio station. Um, that the, the guy who was running it was not an Iowa fan, and he said, "Why don't you go cover games for me and get some audio?" Wow! <laughs> I was like, all right, okay. All right. Is this a trick question? <laughs> right. I'll, I'll I'll do that. And I was writing for a little kind of weekly or monthly thing here, the Quetzity Sports Connection, doing an Iowa column every month. Hmm. So. 
that's kind of how I got my start. Interesting. Who was behind uh, that? Was that was that a Mike Rickard production? The Sports Connection? Was no, no, no. It was my friend Brad Rowland who was okay. doing that, and um, he was he kind of started covering some stuff in the Quad Cities, and um, and we got to be friends through the sports radio station. Actually, and he's like, "Why don't you do a column on Iowa every month for me?" And I'm like, "All right, that'll be fun." <laughs> Look what it turned so into. That's how it kind of started, and then and and John wasn't a, in Iowa at that point, so I had credentials then because through the radio station to yeah. go to the games and cover them. So um, that's how we kind of developed our relationship. Interesting, um, I did not so know I was that. Kind of on the ground. Yeah, yeah. It was you know it was. Interesting times, <laughs> different times. It was the wild, wild west, and yeah, that's when we were, uh, you know, when I was uh, kind of the the internet guy, if uh, you will. John and I were internet guys. That's how we were referred to. And yeah, and you were uh, not ridiculed, but you were not that look down the your nose at. But you know, it was it, it, we bloggers. I mean, it was blogger even a word back then, Tom? I don't think it was. Was it? How do, how did people refer to you? That you can say on the radio, I mean. <laughs> internet guy. Internet guy. Okay. Oh, those two internet yeah. guys. Well, let, so, let's go ahead. Fine. You know, that's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed it is. <laughs> Excuse me. Water went down the wrong way. Uh, 2001, Tom, we were talking about it. Just your memories of that team, the Alamo Bowl, Victor's, uh, Brad Banks was, you know, getting his feet wet. Uh, Trent, it's his belief that Brad Banks would not have been the 2002 Brad Banks. Uh, he certainly wasn't that in 2001. How do you remember that squad? Yeah, um, the 2001 team is just, that. that's the Break the Rock team. And it seems so weird because that was a Chris Doyle thing, and now Chris yeah. Doyle is no longer you know, associated with mm-hmm. Iowa anymore, but that was kind of his mantra. Was, And I remember the culmination of the Texas Tech game, uh, you know, the Norm Parker masterpiece against uh, Mike Leach and Texas Tech and uh, how, um, you know, Kirk Ferentz at the end of that game declared that the rock was broken. And, uh, you know, I think they went to build a mountain or something the next year. Um, you know, that I, that was 9-11, I mean, just all the, everything going on around that um, um, is a, a certain memory for me. I remember the Minnesota game that year. I think that was Bob Sanders maybe taking, taking the wood to some people in that game. Um, and that's the year that really the kind of the legend of Bob Sanders started to get really developed, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, it's... Um, I think it was that Indiana game where he had like twenty five tackles yeah. or something. What? That yeah. Game. Yeah. 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 Chasing yeah. around he, Antoine Randall. He, yeah. he was he was basically put on a shadow of Antoine Randall right. in that game yeah. and uh had like twenty five tackles. So I it did not rough. remember that. And that's that's the legend of Bob Sanders uh, year. And I I can't remember if it was oh one or oh three where Bob Hit, I think it was Lawrence Maroney. Trent, you may remember this. I don't remember. He was on the goal line, and they, they, he saw Bob coming, and he basically just frightened him mm-hmm. and lost the ball, and the game just kind of turned at that point. I, I can't remember if that was 01 or 03. Hmm. Maroney and Barber, that was a pretty good backfield. Yes, it was. Uh, two very talented guys and a very good offensive line, too, for the Gophers in that one. Tom, from uh, a look back at 18 years ago to today, 
you mentioned it, and I actually was thinking about that as I was putting the highlights together, the break the rock mentality, what was happening inside the program. It, it all goes hand in hand with Chris Doyle. So where are we now? It, it's the Twitter, the social media conversations have certainly slowed down in what's happening. So what do you know? What's happening inside the program to alleviate the concerns that have been out there from former players? Yeah, I think it's... Um you know, I wrote about this last week. It's player player empowerment, and now um, and Kirk's going to have to adjust to that, and that's hard for. And I wouldn't say Kirk's a control freak, but he's a controlling kind of coach. Every head coach is sure, some level, to be. Uh, kind of controlling, and um, you want things done a certain way. And he's going to. That's I think the biggest adjustment in the program is going to have to be from him, to be honest, because he's going to have to let the reins go on on some things and, and uh, be more, not that he wasn't a player's coach, but he's going to have to be a player's coach (laughs) and um, listen to them more and uh, learn from them more and and embrace some of the things they want to do. And I'm going to be really curious to see how uh, that all kind of plays out uh, on the field. And, you know, because Iowa was so much about being disciplined and coaching guys up and developing them and, um, and, you know, precision and how is that going to be coached and how are they going to coach differently? Do they have to coach differently uh, to reach the kids? Um, it, it's going to be a challenge, I think. Um, but uh, it's open communication uh, that's going on. It's, you know, the players are speaking up. They feel more empowered to, to speak out and speak up. And um, But it's a cha- it's going to be a challenge. They're going to have to coach differently, I think, and, and that's um, – that's going to be difficult, I think, for a lot of coaches. Uh, what kind of coach do you, do you know, Tom? Uh, what kind of guy is Braithwaite coaching style-wise, if you will? Uh, I mean, he's, right now he's interim. It sounds like that he's going to have every opportunity to get the gig full time. Is he the same? Not, I'm, not, I'm not comparing, you know, what uh, the the bad stuff of Chris Doyle, Chris right? But is he that type of guy? Is he is that is that much of a leader? Do the, will the players know that it's his strength and conditioning program? That that over there, that's the guy in charge. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, and his style, just talking to a few people, it's different. It's more um, positive than negative. Uh, you, you're just listening to people, you know, on both sides of the Doyle debate. Uh, and they'll all agree that he was a universal uh, blank hole. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, to everybody. He was more stick than carrot. And I think you got to – the thing I think is kids today, they go all these, all these personal trainers and everything, and they, they pay for those things. So there's more positive reinforcement. There's more carrot there. And I think um, that's what you're going to see in the Iowa weight room, weight room is more carrot and less stick. And, um, and, and I think there's, there's a way to do that without, um, and Kirk said this, be more, be demanding and not demeaning. And I, I think that's the thing that Chris kind of crossed into was he kind of, um, you know, trafficked in the, the racial stereotypes and, uh, on, on both sides, really. I mean, he, I know he called the, you know, some other players white trash and things like that. So, um, you know, it's just, uh, that's got to change. It's how you say things. Um, I, I think words words really matter, and 
and I think that'll be important moving forward. I don't know if it was you that came up with more carrot, less stick. I've never heard it before. <laughs> well done if it was. <laughs> Go ahead, Trent. Tom Caker, Jody, guess HawkeyeReport.com. Tom, is, uh, we look forward to the season. We go from what's happened the last couple of weeks with the program to the conversation before that that had dominated. What is football going to look like? What is the stands going to look like? And as more and more teams are having players and athletes coming back to campus, we're hearing more and more about the number of people that are testing positive for COVID. Gary Barta has been very steadfast about, you know, we'll sell the tickets, and if we can't fill it up, well, we'll figure it out at that time. We're hearing conversations about conference games, possibly only a 10-game schedule, things like that. What do you hear inside the Iowa Athletic Department? What are they getting ready for? And the likelihood of a full stadium, any port this season, seems more and more unlikely as we continue on here into the summer. Yeah, and I, I talked to a friend of mine who has a, has a business who does business with the University of Iowa Athletics. And and he had talked to Gary this week and said that Gary basically told him we're expecting to be full. And I was just like, I started <laughs> laughing. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and, but then he kind of backed it, uh, backed it up and said, no, maybe half, you know, uh, could it could end up being half. And I, I think half is, is the best case scenario right now. And they're going to require masks is what I was told. Mm. So, uh, you know, if you're planning on, uh, having season tickets to Iowa football, and going to the game, uh, you're going to be masked. Now, are they going to mask you and make you mask in the parking lot when you're drinking beers? I don't think you can do that. Mm-hmm. But um, when they're when you're in uh, the uh, the stands, they're going to ask you to um, wear a mask. And I don't know what they're going to do if they see people who take their masks off. What are they going to do? Toss them out? I don't know. Uh, but um, you know, they're driving towards football, but. I, I'm probably, I think you guys are probably in the same boat with me. It's like you get really optimistic at times. All right, we're coming back. And then you see all these positive tests and you see, you know, large swaths of groups of, from teams being quarantined. And you're like, how the heck are we going to pull this off? <laughs> and I just don't know. It's just, you know, if, if you're if you're one of your quarterbacks, um, test positive and you're all in a quarterback room, then everybody has to be quarantined and it's Thursday. Is Amir Smith Marset going to be your, your wildcat quarterback on mm-hmm. Saturday? Then I don't know. It's just, you know, what do you do? It's just, it, it doesn't, I don't know how you, how you work this out. I'm with you, Tom Kicker. Tom, uh, just in closing here, I'm sure you saw on the Hawkeye football uh, Twitter account uh, this morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, nice job, who's ever got this. Cause it's a, um, a picture of Juneteenth. Uh, celebrate freedom, committed to listening, learning and becoming better versions of ourselves, educating ourselves on Juneteenth. And you can do the same starting here. And they've got a link to the history of Juneteenth. Uh, good for the Hawkeye football program for tweeting that out. Uh, that resonated with me. And it seems like the steps are being taken. Not that one tweet's going to change everything that's gone on, or this doesn't say that, all right, mission accomplished. I'm not saying that, but it was good to see. Tom, it's good to talk to you as always. We'll look forward yeah. to doing so in a week from now. Okay. Okay, thanks, guys. Thank you, Tom. Tom Kakert, HawkeyeReport.com. Quick timeout, Dave Sproul, KASI on Iowa State, and the week, Miller & Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. 10- for details. During these trying times, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is there for you. From support groups and education to outreach and advocacy, NAMI Iowa works to provide the tools needed by friends, families, 
and persons with mental illness of all ages. For more information on support groups available throughout the state, visit NAMIIowa.org. And please take a moment to consider a donation to NAMI Iowa. Your gift would help continue the work serving those with mental illness and their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station. 1460 KXNO with you here in Tulo for about another 10 or 12 minutes. Let's get Dave Sprow in here right away. K-A-S-I, our sister station up in Ames. Dave is going to be a big part of our program once, well, on Fridays, but once sports get here, uh, he'll be at the press conferences helping us out, etc. Dave joins us. Dave, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. I want to bring up the 16-17 uh, Iowa State. Uh, Trent and I looked back at um, more memorable teams this uh, week. Iowa State was in the spotlight. But you know who's been in the spotlight, Dave? this week with Juneteenth and everything uh, around it, it seems to me that uh, the Jack Trice's story is starting to be heard more than just, you know, within the borders of Story County, well, Central I to be fair, but it seems like, you know, some national media's picked up on it, some national media's realizing that Jack Trice Stadium is the only stadium that's named after an African-American football player. I believe I saw that uh, this uh, this week. So uh, Juneteenth, and uh, it's good to see that Jack Trice's story uh, is starting to get recognized just outside uh, the immediate area. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, that's a, the story. And uh, maybe because I went to Iowa State, I might be a little biased in that in that department. But uh, I think that's a story that can't be told enough, no matter whether you're talking about football, athletics, or just society in general, and what that story means to Iowa State and what uh, you know the 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 everything that went into uh, getting that stadium name for him. And uh, hopefully, everybody has seen by now. If you haven't read the Travis Hines story on the yep. Des Moines Register, and uh, I think it'll be in the Ames Tribune as well about the, the whole process of what it took to get that stadium name, name for Trice. It's quite a story in and of itself, along with Jack Trice's story as well. And it's one that we revisit from time to time because it's such an integral part of what it means to Iowa State Athletics. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it can't be shared enough in my mind. And, yeah, personally, I'm glad to see it's getting a, a wider audience now. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Dave Sproul was our guest. And, and yes, Travis wrote a, a really good piece. But I think it was, it maybe took a, a, a guy that really didn't know a lot about it uh, in Sports by Brooks, who, you know, has been out of sight, out of mind. And for, for out of the blue, he tweeted about Jack Trice Stadium this week and how nobody knows about it. Well, you know, Iowa State fans got a little hot under the collar that, you know, we, we know about it. His point was well taken. And, and even though he got criticized uh, by some people close to the program or like uh, alums, et cetera, I think his message served the purpose of opening some eyes, Dave. Yeah, and to Brooks's credit, you know, he, he admitted once he started getting tweets at him and saw some of the more information that was going around online pe- that people were sharing with him or sharing with others that he, you know, he in turn shared that and turned it around and, and gave it a little bit more of a wider audience. And uh, that certainly helped a lot. You got guys like Josh K- K- Kagavi, if I'm saying that right, who's been researching this tremendous uh, research on his part to, to delve into that story as well as the history of Iowa State Athletics. And um, also, you know, great to look up a story from 2016. Spencer Hall, one of the, the great college football writers in the country, wrote a very, very long piece that ties in 
the history of Jack Trice and and the history of football in general and history of the American Buffalo somehow. I mean, it's, it's an incredible piece. Mm. It's, it's quite a, a long read, but it's really worthwhile because, first, he's such a great writer, and second, it, it is part of such a great story overall to, to again, tell that Jack Trice story. And he had a, you know, a huge platform before Vox let him go for some dumb reason. Um, <laughs> and, and that's a, a great way to, to spread that story as well. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. And to be honest, though, I knew it was named after Jack Trice and knew the story of him playing for Iowa State and, and dying shortly after the game played against Minnesota. There were a lot more to this. There is a lot more yeah. to this. And, you know, it it's one of those things where we, you just mentioned Trice or going up to Jack Trice and that's what you say. But there is so much more to you know, this story, really and is. just getting the name on the stadium over twenty years to get to that point—it's crazy. As we look back at time and and how things change and evolve, that Iowa State was at the forefront of this. That nineteen ninety-seven—we're talking twenty-three years ago—that was a different time and important to get that name on the stadium even back then. Yeah, and it's you know it's interesting you hear people talk about it even here in in Central Iowa. Uh, who may not know that story, they assume maybe it's just some big fat cat donor who gave a bunch yeah, of money right. to the stadium or something like that. You know, that's not the case at all. Yeah. And to Iowa State's credit, you know, when they went through the process of uh, dealing in, in naming rights with Mid-American Energy, uh, both sides really just took off the table the the entire mm-hmm. uh, possibility of renaming the stadium itself, something other than Jack Price Stadium. So it's Mid-American Energy Field at Jack Price right. Stadium. And you know, both sides deserve, deserve credit for making sure. And this was two, three years ago yep. before we really got conscious about what's going on in this country with race and in the way we have now, uh, certainly. But it, that was a non-starter on both sides, and it's to the credit for both sides that they left Jack Trey Stadium on there, no questions asked. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, Jamie Pollard, even b- before the, the cash started to flow in college athletics, uh, Pollard was adamant. It's never going to. We're never going to sell the naming rights to our football stadium. It is Jack Trice Stadium, and it will remain. Uh, Dave, let's move on. We uh, earlier in the week on our memorable teams of the uh, of the of the last couple of decades. Uh, Trent and I took a look at the 2016-2017 Iowa State basketball program. Boy, the the roster, the 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 dudes on that team. Uh, we, we say it all the time when we talk about Iowa State, specifically over the Hoiberg area in the beginning of the prom era. Man, uh, Cyclone fans were spoiled to have some of those players come through the program, and uh, they made the most of it. And this was a group of guys that certainly made the most of their career. How will you? How do you remember 16-17 men's basketball? Uh, I remember that team as being one that was, that was very good without George Niang, because he had graduated the year before, if memory serves. You're right. So, that you know, that's a huge question mark. You lose a guy like that, and you got to replace his production. How is that going to happen? Uh, and that was the year it became Monte Morris's team. He stepped up not only as a leader in terms of production, but really the heart and soul of that team, the absolute leader, the guy everybody looked to in those moments when a play needed to be made or, you know, somebody needed to rally the guys. Monte was, was the dude. And there was no question, you know, he grew so much, uh, not only during the four years at Iowa State, but he, he really had to step up big time during his senior campaign. And, and he did it admirably. And I don't, I don't know if you could ask for uh, any player to do more for a team than what Morris did for that squad. And he certainly had some talent around him. Uh, Deontay Bergen could be spectacular. Matt Thomas really grew into the kind of player that he was kind of expected to be going in. 
and Nazmi Trulong got that extra year because of an injury, and he was certainly a big contributor. Donovan Jackson coming off the bench made that huge shot down at Lawrence, uh, down at yep. Allen Fieldhouse in yep. Lawrence to be Kansas. Uh, but uh, Monte Morris was the guy, and it, it, that was his team, and it really needed to be, and he came through. You know, it was his team on the floor, but how about what, remember the water? that uh, Was it Hy-Vee and, and Monte Morris got yeah. together, and they got a semi, and they filled it up, and they took it to his hometown of Flint, Michigan, when Flint was still going through the, uh, uh, the water problems? you remember that, and what an incredible gesture it was from the senior uh, from Iowa State? Yeah, and Morris being a Flint native, that right. really meant a lot to him. And I remember standing out there. It was a chilly day, and the wind was blowing when they pulled up that giant uh, semi in front of uh, Hilton Coliseum and had uh, Monte Morris speak to the media. And he just he had tears in his eyes. He was so moved by that gesture. And and the, the fact that he could do something to give back to his hometown in a time of crisis, I, I don't think that's a – that's a situation that has nearly been resolved yet. It's kind True, of outside of mind, but I think it's still an issue there in Flint. But yeah, it, it shows you the kind of person that Monte is, as well as the, the type of leader and player he was for Iowa State. As we're talking a little Iowa State basketball here, with a look back, a look to this season. As long as we have a season. More bad news on the transfer front. They were heavily involved with the kid from Minnesota who'd played his first couple of seasons at Utah, Booth Gotch. He made his commitment, though, to the Gophers here this week. Trying to fill up this roster looks incredibly difficult. I know there's been some buzz about Javon Johnson, who sat out this year, the transfer from Troy, and what he's going to be able to do. But as you look at this roster, it still feels like they need more help. Have you heard, is there anything else bouncing around in the transfer market that Iowa State is trying to zero in on? Yeah, it doesn't really feel like it. it's late in the game, you know, in terms of transfers, even in a typical year. And what you're seeing now, both in basketball and football with, with guys committing, is they want to be closer to home because of everything that's going on with the COVID-19 right. pandemic. They don't want to take the risk of, of going out of state or you know out of their home region if they don't have to. So it's not too surprising Gotts decided to, to return to his home state and play for Minnesota. Uh, so it's, it's going to be very difficult, certainly, barring something really uh, out of left field for Iowa State to get a, a truly impactful uh, transfer of, of that nature. So what you got to hope for right now is, is the, you know, the guys who are coming in, the guys who are coming back and the, and the guys who are coming off red shirts to, you know, take the next step in, in terms of their ability and production. And it's kind of something Iowa State was counting on last year and it didn't really work out. So you're kind of keeping your fingers crossed. And as that roster stands right now, it doesn't really jump out. You say, well, this is a, this is an NCAA tournament team. Uh, we could be surprised, but but barring anything really almost shocking at this point, there's no one player who's going to come in there and just make a huge impact. So that's about the best you can hope for right now. It's just for everybody else to get better. Dave Sproul, KASI, 1430 on the AM dial, sister station in Ames. The Cyclones play on KASI. Dave Sproul with us uh, every Friday. Dave, thank you as always. Have a wonderful weekend. We will talk to you next week. All the best to you guys. Thanks so best much. Best to you as well. Dave Sproul from KASI. That's going to do it. We're done. We're out of here. Happy Father's Day to you. Same to you. Thank Have you. fun. I uh, hope to, indeed. Watching golf? Yeah. yeah. And Ken Griffey Jr. at 7 o'clock on the MLB Network. Really looking forward to that. No doubt about it. Murph and Andy at 2. The Fanatics at 4. Sean Roberts, Emery Songer, the Saturday morning pregame. And then Monday, the Morning Rush will start another week of local programming on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 and 106.3.